started now. All right, welcome to Torah Studies. This is Torah Studies 5781. Yeah, I know, I know what you're thinking. You just got used to writing 5780 in your checks, and now 5781, but that's, that's where we are, and that's how we like it. So 5781, we start again. As soon as we finish the Torah, we immediately start again, because that is how we scroll. We go, we finish the Torah and Simchat Torah, we go all the way back to the beginning, and we start again. Torah never ends, Torah study never ends, Judaism never ends, and there's always more to learn. Every time we start the Torah again, every time, I guess, let me just speak from personal experience. Every time, <clears throat> excuse me, I start the Torah again, I'm amazed at how many additional insights, how many new things um, there is to learn and there is to connect with. So without further ado, I want to jump in as a note to the, this entire series. And let me explain what I mean by series. Of course, Torah um, is comprised of 53 or 54 Torah portions. Oh, hey, Ellie. One second. How's it going? Mm-hmm. little cameo appearance by Ellie Solish. Say hi to everybody. Hi. There you go. All right. So, of course, Torah... Love you. Torah is comprised of 53 or 54 Torah portions, right? And it's a continuum. It's going to go throughout the year until, until next year. But there is something that we should make mention of, and that is that the way we do it here in Torah studies is we kind of divide it into different... Um, different series. We have four different series uh, for the five books. Why not just five? Because that would be too easy. So we divide the year and the five books into four series of classes, about 12 classes each. But they roll one after the next and it's just, it's, it's, it keeps on, it just keeps on going. So that's, that's the essential that you need to know. But here's what's new. Ellie, can you pull a book once? I want to show you something. Can you pull any book? Yeah, any book from that shelf. Your choice. Dealer's choice. Vegas reference. Thank you very much. I want to show you what I have in my hand. Okay, the book that I have in my hand is called Lakute Sichos. You see that? Lakute Sichos. Is it backwards for you or the right way? Right way? Perfect. Lakute Sichos. This happens. Ali, fantastic choice. Well done. Um, this happens to be volume Lamed Hay, which is 35. And it is Beratius, which is this book, Genesis. Well done. Out of 39 volumes, he picked a live one. Now, here's the deal this is a collection of the Rebbe's insights on the Torah. So let me explain how it worked. The Rebbe would fabreng and speak on various occasions, sometimes during the week, mainly on Shabbat. And when he spoke on Shabbat, the talks were not recorded with recording devices. One time, by the way, somebody tried to um, wire up the place. I'm giving you behind the scenes Chabad lore. All right? So here we go. One time, somebody um, on... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Surreptitiously. Surreptitiously. I was looking for a different word, but like when you're not officially, whatever. Unofficially, (laughs) that's not the word he did. Unofficially wired up (coughs) 770, which is the synagogue, with a microphone and a recording device for a Shabbat. Like before Shabbat, it would run, probably like reel to reel, it would run the whole Shabbat, 
but like no one turned it on and off, but it was going to run the whole time, and that way it would record what the Rebbe said on Shabbat, and they faced this, this young man figured that would be the deal. Well, the Rebbe comes down to the Fabrengen, he sits down in his place, and he doesn't start talking. <laughs> He's like, nothing, until they basically realized something was up, and they found the wire, and they, um, in a Shabbos-friendly way, they removed the wire and all traces of that type of, uh, of recording. But here's the point. Here, here's why I'm saying this. So on Shabbat, when the Rebbe would speak on Shabbat, the talks weren't recorded. They were memorized by a team of expert scholars. Now, we've had some of these scholars in Atlanta speak to our community before in the past. Some of the people who were on the team, the original teams, that would memorize this. These were human tape recorders. They could remember six hours of talks in Yiddish, deep concepts in Torah and Talmud and Medrash and Kabbalah and Zohar and Rashi and mix it all, all mixed together. Six hours of talks, word for word. It's incredible, but there's, there are people that have this skill. They would convene after Shabbat or the holiday and they would proceed to jog each other's memories and write everything down or type it all out into transcripts. Well, as subsequent years rolled around, so let's say, for example, this week, right? The Torah, we're starting the Torah again, Bereshit. We're starting the Torah again from the first Torah portion. So imagine, right, you want to publish something that the Rebbe said, an insight that the Rebbe taught, you know, at some point in the past. So you would take old transcripts, by the way. I got passed to me by my team of, assistance. I got passed to me another volume called Torah's Menachem. This is another set of dozens and dozens and dozens, uh, over a hundred books. Of the, these are the transcripts. These are the transcripts as typed out. Okay? These are raw transcripts unedited, um, other than the team. What they would do is they would then take the transcripts and at any point in time when they wanted to publish something formally, they would then send it in to the Rebbe for editing. The Rebbe would look at it edit it, and usually turn it back within 24 hours, and then they would publish it. The published talks are in here. Lukute Sichos. Collection of talks. That's the literal translation. Lukute Sichot, a collection of talks. And these are the edited um, talks, unedited. Edited, unedited. Anyway, so you get where I'm going with this? Or I don't know if you can see where I'm going with this, but okay, I hope that made sense. The Rebbe was Rebbe for over 40 years. And there are thousands and thousands of talks in hundreds of volumes, over tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pages. So just the output is incredible. Last year, a group of uh, Chabad folk launched a project called the Lakute Sichos Project, which is basically that each week, Chabad folks and Chabad-friendly folks around the world should study one talk of the Rebbe, one of the published talks of the Rebbe on the Torah portion. So this year, starting tonight, Torah Studies, this is the big announcement, Torah Studies is now officially aligned with the Lakute Sichos project, which means that the class every Wednesday night is going to be the same talk that Chabadniks, rabbis, lay people, community people around the world are studying together. Same talk, same discourse. We're not going to study it from the original. It's going to be in the Torah study style, but the content and the talk and the exploration is going to be lined up with this project. So you're part of something huge. Tens, literally tens of thousands of people around the world, although it's probably much more than that because probably tens of thousands of people just studying Torah studies anyway. Whatever. 
Many, many, many thousands of people, many tens of thousands of people are studying this week what we're going to be studying today. So just, just so you know, it's not just any talk or any exploration or any discussion or any Torah studies class. This is quite unique this year, and I'm very excited to be part of this with you. So without further ado, let's actually jump in. So as we know, the Torah portion of Bereshit, Genesis, um, the opening chapter of Genesis, talks about creation. So please unmute yourself. And tell me, how did creation happen? How did creation happen? Unmute yourself. God spoke it into existence. Excellent. Right. And I modeled that because I told you to unmute yourself and speak. Right. So how does, how does creation happen? Right. It happens through speech, through articulation. Specifically, the Torah tells us. By a car. By a car. It happened by a car. By God's a. Favorite, yeah. God's favorite car was Fiat. So God creates by fiat. By divine fiat. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> um, by the way, um, Chaz and Ben, funny you mentioned that because I know somebody who drives a Genesis. Yeah. A Genesis, yes, it's true. Ah, uh, I'm saying. the reason I bought the car. The only reason I bought the car. I don't know every car that everyone drives, but I do know that Chazim Ben drives a Beratius. I know that he's driving an original Genesis. Okay, so getting back to, to, um, to, to, to our conversation. The world is created through divine speech, and that is highly significant. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen with you, and let's jump into the text for day number one of creation. Okay, well, it's a short text. Um, you know what, Dr. Maxi, um, if you don't mind reading, I'm gonna make it a little bit bigger, as you can see, um, if you don't mind reading text one, uh, that would be awesome. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. There we go. So that was the first thing that's created on day one. The first thing that's created is light. By the way, it happens, through speech, and many say, you know, the, the magical formula abracadabra. So, and some of you are familiar with this, that there is a tradition. I don't know if it's legitimate or not. I've heard this. Please don't quote me. I mean, you can quote me. It's fine. But I don't know if it's legit. That says that abracadabra is, the, is, an, is taken from the Aramaic abracadabra, which means I will, abra, like bara, I will create Abracadabra, as I speak. So, yeah, I will create as I speak, which is how creation happens. So, creation is the process of or happens through divine communication. God speaks and there is. Okay, so what do we know about light? Fred wants to say something. Oh, Fred, go ahead. It is my understanding that God created the darkness and not the light. The light is, is part of, uh, is eternal and everlasting, and the light wasn't created, but the darkness was. Excellent, excellent point. So in Kabbalah, Kabbalah speaks of how things were originally, how there was God and His light, and then there's a tzimtzum, and then there's a withdrawal, which is, in a sense, the darkness. So it seems like first there's light, and then there's darkness, and light is not created, it's just a natural state of being. Excellent. I, I think that's what you're referring to, and that's an excellent point. My understanding is that this opening um, creation, 
This opening statement of let there be light is not referring to the original Ar'ain Sof, the original infinite light, the infinite presence of God. Rather, it's some sort of creation of light, which the truth is we're going to get into the nature of that creation. Um, but it's something that is part of the created realm. In other words, it's not part of the creator. I mean, look, everything's part of the creator. Right? Everything's connected with God. But it's not, of, it's not creator in and of himself, so to speak. It's part of the act of creation is creating light. And, and the I, truth I is... Light, something that we, we <clears throat> take. A form of diminished light, but the truth is we're going to get into the nature of why this light, what this light, after I ask some, some questions. So, but, but excellent point. And I think, I think you'll get, hopefully there will be some clarity as, as this rolls on. So the first thing is we have light. Now, that evokes some questions. Look, if you're just reading it, if we're just reading the account of creation, you know, day one, we have light, and day two, there's a separation of the waters, and then there's oceans and lakes and dry land, and then we have um, sun, moon, and stars, and then vegetation. You know, you can go through creation, the days of creation, and it's, it all sounds nice, and eventually we have pretty much everything, right? Everything is accounted for, and everything is present in creation. But we need to ask, if we look a little bit deeper, we need to ask some questions. So question number one. Question number one is, why is light first? Why, of all the things of creation, <clears throat> why is light first? The truth is, whatever is first, you could ask, well, why is that first? Right? You could, something had to be first. So what I'm saying is it's not necessarily a fair question to ask why is light first, but I want to give you a conceptual basis for the question. Again, let me rewind that for a second. We know that God created the light first. That's what the Torah tells us. My question is why? You might ask me, what do you mean why? Because something had to go first. I'll tell you why I'm asking why. What's the role of light? Light is illuminating something that exists, right? Light is shedding light on that which exists. So, or light gives utility or light gives benefit to something else. <clears throat> For example, if you're trying to travel somewhere, right? You're trying to go from point A to point B, so then it helps to have light. Or if you want something to grow, right? Like you plant something, you want it to grow. It's helpful to have light, which means that light doesn't really have a purpose or utility in and of itself, but rather it's something that is a support to something else. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes. Now, I, I, this could be argued. I understand that this, I'm, I'm, I'm asserting a premise which could be argued, but hear my premise out. You may have a different take on it and that's fine. I there are different ways to look at it, but, but look at it from this one angle for a moment. You know, light itself, what do you, what's the point? Oh, light helps you see. It helps things grow. It helps the planet, you know, be warm and, and cultivate life. Okay, I get it. But light is a supporting actor then. It's not the main actor. It's a supporting actor. So, for example, I'm going to share my screen with you one more time. And let's look at the next text. This is actually... Interestingly so enough. Can I say something? Yeah, Hassan, go ahead. 
So, so is that connected to to the verse "Kiner Mitzvah B'Torah Or"? Ah, very good, very good. Translate, translate for the benefit of everybody. Okay, for the for for um for the for the candle is um is is a mitzvah is a is a commandment. And the Torah is light. Good. So what you're suggesting is that maybe the light here is a spiritual, maybe we're not talking about the physical emergence of light, but Torah as being the foundation of, of existence. Is that what you're suggesting? Of course it is. <laughs> I love it. We're, we're, we're not necessarily going to go in that direction, although it's, it touches on some themes that we will talk about, but it's an excellent idea. I love that idea. In other words, the light here is talking about the Torah light. Yeah. Can I ask well, Yeah. Jay, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Was there any sound before light? I was, one time, there was a baseball, a softball team that was playing softball at the, at the, uh, at the, at the Jewish Center. And everybody on the team was blind. Mm. And they had, the ball was a larger ball, but it beat. And they could follow the ball. So the light, what you were saying, the light gives us light so we can see where we're going. But for them, the sound gave them, quote unquote, right. so they could know where the ball was. So the Interesting. sound the ball is equal to the light as this blind team saw. No pun intended. Right. No, very... Very interesting. Very interesting. It's, you know, you ask a good question about, about the emergence of sound. Um, I guess when God spoke, I guess that's when sound also kind of uh, emerges, right? Because if God speaks... You know the famous philosophical question, if God speaks, is anyone listening? I'm kidding, that's not the famous question. But if, uh, right, if God speaks, <laughs> you would imagine there was some sort of sound. I guess you could say that even before, before light, the first thing that emerges sound. is sound. Yeah, it's an in interesting idea. But anyway, to get back to this idea, I want to... Who did God speak to? Because if, again, who's there to speak to? And, and so I... Talking to the walls, right? Sometimes yeah, it feels yeah, like we're talking you know, to the walls. That, you know, as, as my, my cousin Jaime would have said of someone that couldn't sing, I the OMD divan. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm looking at your, at your text, which we just recently read, yep. right? Uh, and, and how does that, my question is, all right, so take us to where to how that leads into the Reishi. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, good, good. So, so hold on, hold on. So, let, so let's do this. So let's take a look at, let's take a quick look at text 2A. Um, let's do, Donna, please read text 2A and text 2B. This is from the final Torah portion that we just concluded reading. Take, take, a, take a read, please. Yes. And with the sweetness of the produce of the sun and with the sweetness of the noon of wolves yield, and with the sweetness of the produce of the sun, for Joseph's land was exposed to the sun, which sweetened its fruit. Okay, excellent. So what's going on over here is that the Torah, this is Moses' blessing to the tribes. And what Moses is saying to the tribe of Joseph is that their, their land will be blessed with abundant sunlight. And what will that sunlight do? It will sweeten the fruit of the land which tells us something very important, and that is that sunlight has a utility. It makes things sweet. But again, sunlight, the sun, the light, helps 
things that are already there. If you have space, if you have land, if you have things that need to grow, the sun and the light is beneficial. The question is, why does it go first? First create the land or first create vegetation and then have the sun, have the light, right? So why are we going? It seems like we're putting the horse before the cart. It seems like we're, sorry, the, that's, that should be the way it is, right? It seems like we're putting the cart before the horse, in fact. So that's the question that we're at right now, which is, why is the light going first? Um, let's add to the question by, again, sharing some additional, some additional text. Let's take a look at what happens to the light. So uh, let's Steve, Steve Horowitz, please, if you don't mind, please read text number three from the Talmud. Take it away. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Hold on one second, Steve. Don't forget to unmute. Right? All right. You got it. Okay. That, that would help. <laughs> I was halfway through. With the light of the Holy Ghost, let it be on the first day. The person will be able to appear from one end of the world to the other. God concealed it. For whom did he conceal it? For the righteous in the future. And with this, the Talmud tells us something incredible. The Talmud tells us something amazing, and that is that what did God do shortly after, <clears throat> excuse me, shortly after he created the light of the first day? The Talmud, Tractate Chagiga 12a, tells us that God then concealed it. Look at these key words. What happened? What did God do? He concealed it. When did he conceal it? A big discussion and debate amongst the Midrashic sources. Some sources say he concealed it immediately on the first day. Some say he concealed it on the third day or the fourth day. Some say he left it um, until Friday. Some say he left it for the first full week till after Shabbat. Either way, it didn't last, according to all commentaries, it didn't last more than a week. According to many, it didn't last more than a day. Which, bring, which, which emphasizes further the question, which is, what was the point of this light? Right? What was the point of the light? This light was created, and then it was hidden. This light was such a light, was such a spiritual light, a person could see from one end of the world to the other. Can you imagine such a light? Ah, oh, what a clear day. Right? How does it work? I, I can't get into the mechanics or the science behind it, but this is what it says. It was such a clear, beautiful light. It's now hidden for tzaddikim la'asid lavai, for the future, for the future era. Whether that means, you know, after a person passes away in heaven or whether it means when Mashiach comes, either way, it's a light that's reserved for the righteous for the future time with a capital F and a capital T, future time. Which begs the question, so why create this light anyway? And if you're talking about the sun, the sun was created on day number four. Sun, moon, and stars were created on day four. So what in the world is happening on day one? We have light. What kind of light? A spiritual light. Why? For who? For what? It's hidden anyway. Why is it first? What's the point? We have a lot of questions about the light. So what we're going to do now, <clears throat> and it's really a delight to teach this class. Oh, guys. I, I, uh, I, I feel, I feel the pain. Delight? Delight? Yes? No? Is my mic on? All right. Fine. All right. All right. Good, good. I need to see the pain and then I can, uh, and then I can keep on going. Okay. So with that in mind, let's advance, let's advance the conversation because there's a lot, 
<laughs> Jessica, because there's a lot to, um, to, to unpack here when we talk about light. So our questions in short are, why is light first? What is the purpose of light if, if creation doesn't exist yet, if the other things don't exist? And furthermore, if the light is hidden, then why was it put into being in the first place? And why was it first? Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to steer away from the conversation about light and talk about purpose. So Stephen Covey wrote a book in uh, 1989, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And Covey writes the following. He says one of his, one of his ideas and principles is begin with the end in mind. Such a Jewish idea. Be and I'll tell you why I say it's such a Jewish idea, because we have some good Jewish sources that say exactly that. Begin with the end in mind. Please unmute yourself and tell me what you think that means. What does begin with the end in mind mean? Begin with the end in mind. Think about what you want to accomplish before you start actually doing it. Excellent. And, and what's the benefit of that? Uh, because then you can map out what you're going to do because you know what you want to achieve. Excellent. Excellent. In other words, stated very simply. If you don't know what you're doing, you won't be able to do it. Or maybe you'll do exactly what that is, which is not knowing what you're doing. Right? If you want something, if you ha if to be effective, to accomplish, you need to have a plan. Whether it's business, whether it's in anything, whether you're um, building a home, you know, physically building a house, whether you're building a business, whether you're teaching a class, you have to know, you have to have in mind where you're going. You have to have the end in mind. Now, I want to share with you some sources in Judaism from Torah sources that echo or that, that teach this idea. And, and we find it mirrored in, um, in many different ways. Hey, Karen, welcome. Good to see you. Okay, so let me share my screen with you once again. And let's take a look now at text number four from the Midrash. Okay, here we go. Here's a lesson in architecture. Um, Bev, are you up to reading text number four? Don't forget to unmute. Okay, sure. Thank you. In the way of the world, an earthly king who builds a castle does not do so for his own knowledge, but rather for the, from the knowledge of an architect. The architect does not build it from his own knowledge, but rather he has scrolls and books to know how to make rooms and doorways. So too, God, Hashem, gazed into the Torah and created the world. Thank you, thank you. So what we have here is a very interesting little um, insight into building, right? So you have the king, an earthly king, right? a human king. And I think the reason why, why the Midrash uses the example of a king, where it could have used any person, right? Because even the king needs an architect, right? Even the king. What do you mean? The king needs an architect? Yeah, the king needs an architect. That's the, that's the way it works. If you want to create something, you want to build a house, you want to build a castle, you need an architect. And by the way, the architect also doesn't just build, you know, by sight. You know, people play music without, without, without notes, right? 
But building a castle without notes, you're going to end up with a door that doesn't shut right. It's, it's, it's not going to work out. You have to have precise measurements and precision drawings. Even the architect, who is the expert, and by the way, here he it kind of conflates, it kind of um, combines the architect and the builder, even though today we have two different fields. There's the architect who does the drawings and then the builder who does the building. But it's the midrash kind of lumping that role together, builder slash architect or architect slash builder. Here's the, here's the point. You can't build without first mapping it out. And so that itself is, you know, what Covey says, begin with the end in mind. Exactly. You cannot begin if you don't have a plan. You have to have the end. In other words, what is your objective? What's your plan? How many rooms do you want? What? Who built a house, right, and started building and then said, you know, however many rooms we end up with, you know, that's what we'll have. What do you mean? How many bedrooms? How many bathrooms? Where's the kitchen? Where's the living room? Where's the dining room? Where does the plumbing go? Where does the electric go? You got to know these things. You don't just start building. It's not how it works. Especially if it's a castle, if it's, if it's a building worthy of building. If you want to put together a sandcastle on the sand, it's going to be wiped away anyway on the beach. You don't need drawings. But if you're putting together something that's going to stick around for a little bit and, and serve a purpose, you, you need to have a plan. And so again, the idea of, 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 of begin with the end in mind, um, that is something we find in the Midrash regarding God's creation of the world. Let's take a look at text number five. Now, this should be very familiar because it comes from the famous... I, 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 can I ask you a question on the other one? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, 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 there is a sentence that even more got me. So, too, God gazed into the Torah and created the world. Yes, yes, exactly, Irena, yes, exactly correct. So, what this is the Midrash that tells us and this is something we've quoted many times in different contexts, that the Torah is the blueprint of creation. And that means that if you and I, when you and I study Torah, we will find the purpose for why God, God created the world. In other words, just like if you're, you know, think about, think about this example. You're, you're looking to buy a house and you want to know about the house. So what do you do? You research the house, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms. But let's say you want to go even deeper. You might want to take a look at the architectural drawings, right? You might want to look at how was the house built? Like, what's the design of the house? So if we want to know the design of the universe, how it's built, why it's built, all we need to do is look in the, look in the drawings, which is the Torah. Yeah, That's, but the piece that I don't get is so too God gazed into the Torah. He, didn't, he doesn't need to gaze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corinna, you're right. You're right. God could pull it off even without the drawings. It just means that God also had a plan. God didn't just create. God also has a plan. And by the way, you know where that plan is? It's in Torah. And you know who has the plans in their hands? We do. That's, that's the implication of the Midrash. But you're right. God, God is not limited to the human um, uh, uh, frailties. God is perfect. But the point is that God also had a plan, and that plan is communicated in Torah, and that's what we have. But again, what's the, what's the overarching point is that having a plan is a good thing. Now that's text four. Text number five says a very similar concept um, in different words and in a different context regarding Shabbat, but, and it's from the Lechadodi, so I think many of us are familiar with it. Um, Paul, if you don't mind, please read text number five. Please unmute yourself. Please read text five. Thanks. 
Come, let us welcome the Shabbat, for it is the source of blessing. From the beginning, from aforetime, it was chosen. Last in creation, first in God's thought. Thank you. I love that last line, right? We talk about Shabbat. It's the last day of the week, the last day of creation. Ah, but it's the first in God's thought. You know what that means? That means from the beginning, God couldn't wait to vacation. I'm kidding. It means from the beginning, God didn't, God didn't break a sweat either. Um, speaking of what Irena asked before. Look, it means that, you know, very often when somebody finishes, you know, that's, that's what it was all about. I don't know if I said that, if I articulated that clearly, but... When you're working on a project and you're going and going and going, as long as you're going, you're pro you probably haven't fulfilled the objective because you're still going. But when you stop, that's a good indicator that at least the person feels like they're done. So when it comes to creation, God finishes with Shabbat. So it was last in creation, first in God's thought. Let's go back to the example of building a house. So let's say you're building the home of your dreams. Like, let's just, let's go all out with this, with this uh, scenario. Ah, you've lived in different homes, different houses, different neighborhoods, but now, finally, you're going to build your dream home. This is going to be it, the, the home of your dreams. You hire the architect, you get the plans, you get all the, you're dreaming because you bought a piece of land and you can build whatever you want. And so it's, uh, right, it's nice to think about this, uh, this scenario. And you, 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 you dream and you imagine, you draw down and you change it. And, uh, 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 you fire the first architect. I'm kidding, right? You do all of these things and then you start. So after, after the plan is set, then you start with the building process. And maybe there's first excavating something and then there's digging and then there's pouring a foundation and then there's... Uh, now, here's, here's my caveat. I've never built a house, so I don't know all the steps. So I, excuse me for my non-expertise. So I'm up to the foundation. I'm not sure what goes up next. I guess a frame and a this and walls and, and, and pipes and, and electric and, 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 and etc. And a roof at some point. Here's the point. Any step along the way, if you stop the project there, that's not what you wanted. You did not want a hole in the ground with a foundation. You did not want a wooden frame sticking up in the open wooden frame. That's not what you wanted. You didn't want a frame with a roof. You didn't want unpainted walls. What did you want? When the last mezuzah is put up on the doors and it's ready to move in, that's what you wanted. You wanted from the beginning the final result. Are you with me on that? The end, end, end is what you had originally, originally, originally in mind. You with me on that? It's always the end that's connected with the beginning. So in other words, the end with a project and building, etc., the end and the beginning are actually closer together than any other point along the continuum. So let's, let's do a timeline. I'm going to put my finger here. This is the starting point and this is the end point. These two points are closer than even the point right here. Because the point right here is way far away from what your objective is. The end point is when you satisfy the objective and that comes full, full circle. Does that make sense? The end and the beginning are ultimately connected. 
So Kavi says, you know, um, begin with the end in mind. Yeah, begin with the end in mind. When you begin, know where you're headed. The truth is, this is a lesson in life. It's not just a lesson in building and a lesson in a business plan. It's a lesson in life. And that is, from time to time, and maybe even more than time to time, occasionally on a regular basis, we need to think about what's the plan? What's my life plan? Like a business plan. What's my life plan? Every morning we should think about it. Moda'ani, we wake up in the morning, we can say some prayers and think about, all right, what's my plan for the day? Every week we have Shabbat. Oh, let me, um, one second. Let me stop sharing so I can look at you. I'm looking at the text here the whole time. Okay, so every day we have, sh- we have um, the morning. Thank God for the morning, right? And the prayers and the moda'ani where we acknowledge and thank God for restoring our soul within us. It's a great time to, it's a great time to formulate our plan for the day. Remember how important it is to formulate the plan. We can't just go building. What are we doing today? What's the plan? I'm not even talking about on a um, time management level, you know, make sure you have a list of tasks, of tasks that you want to do today and then you'll be more efficient. I'm talking about on a deeper level, on a you know, personal level, personal satisfaction, achievement, um, spiritual goals. What's the plan for today? Every week, so that's on a daily basis. Every week we have Shabbat. Shabbat is a day, it comes at the end, but also at the beginning of the next. Well, it's the end of one week, but it also heralds the beginning or is the prelude to the beginning of the next week. So it's a great time to rest up and to think about what's the next, what's, what's the next week going to look like. We have every month, Rosh Chodesh, I'm going through, let me give you a spoiler alert, day, week, month, year. That's where I'm go- where I'm headed with this. Let's talk about the month. Every month is Rosh Chodesh. Once a month, the beginning of the month. I'm Rosh Chodesh. Um, Cheshwin is coming up uh, this coming Sunday, I believe. Yeah, Sunday? Yeah. Rosh Chodesh is coming up Sunday. And Rosh Chodesh is a great time. It's the first day of the month. It's like a mini holiday. I mean, we, don't, we can work and whatever. But um, actually, there's an ancient custom that women... Uh, don't work on Rosh Chodesh or try to minimize some work and, and, and have, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, celebrated on some level. Anyway, but I, I digress. To get back to this point, Rosh Chodesh is a great time to think about goals for the month. And of course, it goes without saying, Rosh Hashanah, which we just celebrated a few weeks ago, um, almost a month ago. Rosh Hashanah is, of course, the time that we think about the goals and make a plan for the year. So here's the point. Again, I, I want to make sure... It's not, it's not spreading too far out. We, I got to stay focused here. So what's the point? Begin with the end in mind. Having plans, having a game plan is very important. What's the plan for the day? What's the plan for the week? What's the plan for the month? What's the plan for the year? It's good to have goals, right? God had a goal. God had a plan, right? It's good, it's good to have plans and goals. It keeps us focused. And it's the only way to, to have a shot of achieving something meaningful. I mean, it's hard to achieve something by accident. It, it's helpful that when, when you have a plan. Let's take a look at text number six. I want to read this one. And then I want to share with you a parable that is so powerful. Okay, um, let me share my screen with you once again. Text number six. This comes from the Talmud. Look at how the Talmud talks about the Cheshba, the Cheshba Nefesh, this um, introspection, this planning introspection. Text 6, come and let us calculate the account of the world. 
i.e. the financial loss incurred by the fulfillment of a mitzvah in contrast to its reward. And the reward, the quote-unquote reward for committing a transgression, i.e. the pleasure and gain received in contrast to the loss it entails. The Talmud says, you got to think. Got to put priorities in place. Yeah, mitzvah is going to cost you some time and money. But what about the reward? And an Avera sin might feel wonderful in the moment. But what's at, what's, but at what cost long term? So that's what the Talmud says. The Talmud basically says, don't just think about now. Think about the next, the next, um, the next minute. Uh, reminds me of the, the, the famous Hasidic story. This is not the parable that I'm going to tell you in a moment. A Hasidic story of a father who takes his son in Russia to the, to the lake for a mikvah to dip in the water. As, as Hasidic custom is to dip in the mikvah every single day. And so he takes his son, he decides to initiate him in the daily practice of mikvah going. He's nine years old, it's about time, and he takes his son, and maybe he has to break the ice, like literally, or whatever, and he, he helps him duck, he helps him out, and the child, ah, is shivering and shrieking, and he wraps him, of course, in a warm towel, and the child goes, ah, and the father says, don't forget, don't ever forget that. When it comes to doing a good deed, it may feel... Ooh, in the beginning, but ah, later, it's all worth it. But when it comes to sinning, it's always ooh or ah in the moment, but ooh, later. It always, it's always more painful later. So it's always good to have the ooh first and then the ah, as opposed to the ah and then the ooh. And that's what the Talmud is telling us also. The Talmud is saying, remember the account of the world, the cheshbon, the account of the world. Calculate. The loss, the loss of a good deed in contrast to its reward and the reward of a bad deed in contrast to its loss and then act the right and then, and then act accordingly. But notice the Talmud calls it cheshbono shel olam, the account of the world. In other words, it's not just a personal account. This affects the whole world because what we do matters. And the Talmud is encouraging us. In tractate Bava Batra, the Talmud is encouraging us to think beyond our noses, to think beyond the moment in front of us, to have a plan. What is this going to cause? Have the end in mind. What are the ramifications of this choice, of this action, of this decision? Now let me tell you a story. This parable was taught by the Magid of Dubno. And he says such an unbelievable... He lived a few hundred years ago. He taught the following parable. He said there was once a plague that was ravaging... The forest and all the animals got together and this was a call to forest moment. This was like a, um, we got we to gotta all band together and figure out what is going wrong. Clearly, the, 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 sup, the supernal force in the universe is not happy with us animals. We got to fix something in our behavior. So the lion, the king of the jungle, jungle gets up and says, I need to confess you know, I'm the king of the jungle and I have so many pressures and so many, you know, so much is riding on my shoulders. Well, the other week I saw a human being and out of nowhere, for no reason unprovoked, I decided to devour and, 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 and kill this human being because of the pressure that I had. The animal said, no, don't feel so bad. You're forgiven. You're the king and you have so many pressures. All right, we'll give you a pass. All right, he, well, he wipes his brow. And then we have, and then the next animal was, I'm looking at the parable now, the next animal was, 
the wolf. And the wolf said, I was walking in the forest, at the edge of the forest, and I was hungry and I saw a gazelle. I saw a mother gazelle and a child gazelle. And I went and I attacked them both and I killed them both, even though I could only eat one. And I feel bad because for no reason I killed the other. I was just so hungry. And the other animal said, no, don't feel guilty. It's okay. It's all right. You were hungry. Who, could, who can think when you're hungry? You're, you're, you're forgiven. You're only, listen, you're only, a, you're only a wolf. What are you going to do? You're only a wolf. And so on with all the animals until, until it came around to the last animal. The last animal was the little, um, the little sheep. And the sheep says, I also need to confess. Yeah. I was very hungry the other day. And for some reason, my, the, my master, you know, this sheep was a domesticated sheep. So my, my owner, my master, the human, whatever, didn't take me out to the pasture and I was starving. And then I noticed there was some straw in the shoes of, the, of, of my master, you know, some straw for padding in the shoes back in the day before foam, right? Little padding. And I went and I ate some of the straw. And, um, and, and I feel bad because I stole some straw. Oh, how dare you, roared the lion. Thief, said the snake. Oh, the fox and the wolf. Everyone gangs up. And they rip the sheep to, to shreds. That was the example of the parable taught by the Dubno Magid. There are many ways that you can unpack this parable and many different applications. Talk about hypocrisy, right? Talk about... Um, you know, the, the, the strong ones, you know, uh, um, uh, absolving themselves and, and still picking on the weak one, right? I mean, that's, all these themes come about as far as justice. But there's one theme that's also very important, and that is in the context of introspection. To say, I am sorry, I shouldn't have done it now, but you know, you have a good excuse. Doesn't change anything, right? That doesn't change anything. Because you're still a fox, you're still a lion, and you still didn't, uh, with all of the forgiveness, you, then, then you didn't do anything wrong, and there's no, there's no change. Because at the end of the day, you see a sheep, and you're still going to devour the vulnerable. That's it, because you haven't changed. So all of the wonderful, all of the wonderful um, patting each other on the shoulders, it's not going to change. If there's no change, then there's no change. And so what's the point here? The point here is that in the process of introspection, it's not, only, it's not only to look at ourselves in the, in the details, but to look at ourselves in the bigger picture and to say, what are we really about and what's the point and what are we doing here? And not just say, well, I did this wrong, I did that wrong. Uh, okay, uh, you know, I had a reason for it and then let me move on. The question is, what's really going on in my life? What do I really need to fix? So again, it's important. Let me piece the, the pieces together. It's important in life to have a plan. And in, in the Jewish understanding, it's not just to have a plan, but to have, an intro, to have moments of intro, regular moments of introspection to think about what is my plan and what is my purpose and what am I doing here? And then we can hopefully roll out and achieve it. And it's not just enough to do this you know, on, on one or two levels, but to do it on a very fundamental level. What am I here for? Why, why, what is my purpose? What's my objective? And am I achieving it? And how do I achieve it? With this in mind, we have a little bit of better insight going all the way back to understanding the meaning of light. I asked the being of the class, what's the purpose of the light? Why is light first? And what does it even mean if God hides the light anyway? What's the deal with the light? So I want to share with you a deeper understanding of light. 
It's not the literal understanding of light, but anyway, it wasn't a literal light because uh, there wasn't the sun at that point and it was hidden and there was still, there's still light. So what is this light? So the Kabbalists explain, the Kabbalists in Kabbalah, there's a lot of discussion about light. The difference between light and darkness in Kabbalah, in Jewish mysticism, is the difference between clarity and obstruction of clarity or lack of clarity. So when something is clear, it's referred to as light. When something is not clear, it's obfuscated, it's uh, hidden, it's concealed, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's opaque, we call that darkness. What's the purpose of creation? What's the purpose of this world? You know, if you ask, uh, if you ask a Kabbalist, a mystic, a scholar, why did God create the world? What's the point? Here's the answer. Life is a game of hide and seek. God hides and we're meant to seek, which means that we're meant to, to discover the divine hand, so to speak, the divine imprint, the divine architecture within the fabric of the universe. God creates, but God creates the world in a way that God is hidden inside the very fabric of nature. So that you can look at the world and say, I don't see God, I just see nature. Now, spoiler alert, who is nature? What is nature? It's God. But the human being might not see it. You might see nature and you might not see God. So what's the purpose of life? If we had to distill it down based on this conversation, the purpose of life is to discover the truth, to see the truth, to find the truth, and that is that God is behind everything. God is behind creation. In other words, the purpose of life is to turn on the light. The purpose of life is to discover the appearance of God, to discover, not the appearance, to discover the presence of God in the fabric of existence. That's the purpose of life. With this, we can understand why light is created first. Why is light created first? Because light tells us what our objective is. God, the first thing God creates is light, and with that, it's a message for you and I. What's the very first thing we need to do? We need to illuminate the world with an awareness of God. Now, by the way, that may sound very lofty and theoretical. What does it mean to illuminate the world with an awareness of God? It begins with you and I. When you, when you find a quarter, I'm going to give you a very mundane example, but that's the point. When you find a quarter in the cushions of your couch, I actually, you know that's like the cliche, you find change in your couch? I actually found it this morning. I was like getting the kids ready for school, and I'm on the couch, and I'm like, a quarter. And Riva, my four-year-old, right, she's like, that's mine. I'm like, what? So many, I have so many questions that are still unanswered, even right now. Bottom line is, here's the deal. When you hold a quarter in your hand, what is it? What is it? Is it 25 cents? Is it a quarter? Or is it tzedakah? That's the question. Is it money? Or is it tzedakah money? That's the question. Or when you, when, you're, when you look at the stove, I'm looking at my kitchen right now. When you're looking at a stove, yeah, what do you see? You see a stove? Or do you see a tool to cook food to benefit others? What do you see? 
That's the difference between light and darkness. Darkness is, it's a quarter, it's a stove, it's for me, it's for my benefit. That's what the darkness is. That's what nature says. What does it mean to illuminate? What does it mean to find the light? It means to see the truth, and that is that all of this was created for a higher purpose. All of this, including ourselves, including everything around us. So again, the money is not the money. The stove is not the stove. Everything exists for a purpose. Another example. Yeah, remember the Wizard of Oz? Yeah, who remembers the Wizard of Oz? Thumbs up if you remember the Wizard of Oz. Everyone knows it. Famous, famous Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and she's Dorothy is looking and looking and looking and it's supposed to be this big, magnificent thing and whatever and, 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 and peels back the curtain and what is it? Yeah, who's, be, who's the Wizard of Oz? Some dude, some yukul, some guy, right? Very unimpressive, correct? Am I right here? It's been a while, but that's my memory. The purpose of life is the opposite. It's to peel back the layers of what seems to be unremarkable and to find a magnificent God that is behind all of it. Are you with me on this? It's to pull back the layers, to pull back the curtain on the unremarkable to find the remarkable. That's what life is. Again, life is about finding the light or making the world transforming the darkness into light. Now, let me share with you a, a few quick texts and then everything is going to, you'll see, everything is going to come together, hopefully magnificently, um, if all goes well. Um, here we go. Text 7 from the author of the founder of Chabad. The ultimate purpose of creation is this lowest world, right? Now there's this, not heaven, but right here. For such was his blessed, God's blessed will, that he should have satisfaction when the un, listen to this, when the ungodly perception of everything, is subdued and the darkness is turned to light so that the divine light shall shine forth in this place of darkness and ungodliness, sorry, shall shine forth in the place of the darkness and ungodliness throughout this world with more intensity than its effulgence in the higher worlds. In other words, without uh, the effulgence, which means um, shining, Without the, focusing on, on the last few details, the point is the purpose of creation, ultimate purpose of creation is right here, right now, darkness transformed to light, which means lack of perception of godliness into perception of godliness. And the Rebbe says, this is, I told you, if you want to see what I'm talking about here, I'm going to highlight the words, Lukute Sichot, volume 10. That's the project. That's what we're in right now. We're, I, my son pulled out volume 35. Well, listen, he was good, but uh, he's 25 volumes off, right? Volume 10 is what we're studying, and, uh, and this is the Rebbe's insight into this opening Torah portion of the Torah. And the Rebbe says, and, and listen how it all comes together, this explains why light was created on the first day before any other creation. It is because light is the purpose with which God prefaced the creation of the worlds. With his first utterance, let there be light. It means that everything that is about to be created, the world in all its details and, and the world in all its details and constituent creations, all of it, the purpose of all of it is that it will be transformed into light. In other words, God creates light first as a statement. This is a mission statement. This is a, um, a declaration. Like, what's the opening speech when somebody um, starts office or whatever? Uh, 
um, state of the union address, whatever it is. This is the state of the universe address. God is saying, what's the point? Light. Let there be light. God says, let there be light. It's not a statement only of creation. It's a statement of intent and purpose. Are you with me on this? God says, let there be light. Zal Zain or it should be light. In other words, you're going to be born into a world of darkness. And what's your point and your point and your point? What's your purpose? Let there be light. And let you be the one who makes the light in your space. Let there be light is God's call to us. It's not just the first creation. It's the mission statement of creation. Also, isn't it also what you said before, the beginning and the end, that God does it first, but it's also what He, she, it, God, has in mind. Correct. Remember this thing that you did with yes. the beginning and the end? Yes. From the beginning, from the first moment, the first moment of creation, God says, let there be light. That's why this is being created. And it's going to go through an arc of darkness, the arc of dark. And the point is to go all the way back to end in a place of light, and that's going to tie everything together. So that's why God creates light first, as I said before, that you have to start, you always start with the purpose in mind. The first creation was God's declaration of purpose. It wasn't just, let's create light first. What's the point? And, and God hides it anyway. Oh, and by the way, that brings me to the next question. Very quickly, very quickly. Why does, so why does God hide the light? Because that's the point. If you had the light shining, then there's no darkness to transform into light. Furthermore, I want to share something else when it comes to purpose. They give us free choice. They give us free choice also. Let's talk about purpose for a moment, and then we're going to close it out. Um, when it comes to clarity and mission, when you're, when you're thinking about a project, it's really important to have the clarity, what's it about? right? What's, what's the purpose? And in, in, in with vis-a-vis -vis the creation of the world, it's clear. God says, I want this to be light. I want, I want you to find me. I'm going to hide. I want you to find me. But as you begin a project, it's good sometimes to hide the bigger objective, not to fully hide it or put it away. But if you have the big objective in mind the whole time and it's like fully front and center, it's going to be hard to get the details done. So what I'm, what I'm sharing is another insight that the Rebbe shares, which is you have to sometimes take your big goal and like put it a little bit on the side so that you can do the details to get toward that goal. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I hope I'm not saying something that's like going to undermine or be a little too, too um, nuanced. When it comes to, setting, when it comes to um, setting out your purpose and your intention and then executing, so in the stage of execution, sometimes, not sometimes, when you're executing on your plan, your plan has to be in mind, but in the back of your mind. And in front of you is the execution. Are you with me on that? So therefore, God hides the light. The light is still there, subtly, but it's hidden because now it's time to execute. So you have to have both things. You have to start off with your, you have to start with your objective, and know your plan, where you're headed, know the end, keep the end in mind from the beginning. But then as you actually implement, you, go, you push the purpose. Not, not that you're, you're, you're doing away with it, because then what was the point? But you, you, you focus on the task at hand, but always connected 
with the back of, you know, the back of your mind or whatever on the side with, with the objective. So here's the point. In life, it's good for all of us, as I said before, every single day to know what is today, what is the theme of today? What's my, what's my goal today? What's my goal? What's my goal this week? What's my goal this month? What's my goal this year? Hopefully we took some good resolutions on Rosh Hashanah. We have to have a plan. And then every day, recall the plan, right? What's my plan for today? What's, I, I'm, I'm, I, have, I, I have a soul. I woke up this morning. What's my plan? Then as we, as we start our day, as we actually enter the day, obviously we have to have our you know, heads down and, 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 and we're doing it. We're doing the work. We have to have in the back of our mind the objective, but in front of our minds, in front of our eyes, we have to see the details that we're doing. So life requires a balance of both. Bigger picture as well as the fine details. And it's with this marriage of the light that's revealed and the light that's hidden, that's what keeps progress moving forward. Um, but remember, the overarching purpose of creation? See, God models the process for us. There's... The overarching purpose of creation is to find God in the details. So let's remember both lessons. There's two lessons here, right? Lesson number, God is modeling us how to design our lives. So there's a lesson in what the design is. In, in other words, there's a lesson in what God's objective is. And then there's a lesson in designing in general. So number one, God's objective is light. Let's create light in our world. We live in a world of profound darkness but with that comes the opportunity to create profound light. Let's create the light. That's why we're here. And at the same time, let's learn from the process, right? And create a clear objectives, clear, clear vision for what we want to achieve. And then let's go out and not get, not, not get too eye in the, you know, too um, stuck in the clouds, but be able to get down and do the work that we need to do. Make sense? Yes? All right. Hope you enjoyed it tonight. I hope you'll take it to heart. I know that I'm, I'm working on taking it to heart as well and implementing it in my life. Um, I love being back with you here in Torah Studies to study Wednesday nights. We're on next week and the week after. I think we have an unbroken... Let me look over here for a second. I think we have an unbroken streak. Yeah, 12 classes each of the 12 portions of the book of Genesis. By the way, I must mention, where's my book? I just got my book today. Um, hold on. I got it and it's already gone. Okay, so I'll show you my teacher's manual, Torah studies, but where, oh, here it is, it's right here, under something. Okay, this is my Torah studies textbook, student textbook. I got one of each. I actually ordered this from Amazon. Oh, Steve's got one. Um, some of you may have one already. If you want a hard, oh, nice. Nice, right. If you want a copy, um, soft cover, really nice finish to it, um, direct from Amazon and Torah Studies. Torah Studies partners with Amazon now. This is 2020, it's COVID. So you can get it delivered to your door, direct. You have all the text. So when I skip text, and I, I know I skip text, we don't always get through all of them, you can go and see all of them, right? You don't have to wait for me to share my screen or to unshare my screen. You have the power in your hands. So I encourage all of you, if you'd like, to order this. It's, I think it's about 15 bucks on Amazon, delivered. Um, if you want the link, well, one second, let me drop it in the chat. I also want to, 
I also want to mention something important. But give me a second on this. Let's do this. Let me do one thing at a time. Otherwise, it's going to be too chaotic. So, number one, numero uno, is... No, where is this? <sighs> All right, where are we? Number one is... Is this link. Okay, Torah Studies, Season 1, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm dropping it here in the chat. So, chat box, if you want to order that. Oh, here we go. It's there. Okay, next, next point. Donna is with us right now. Donna B., who is our jewelry guru. So, if you want to get in, we had a fantastic jewelry making program workshop just an incredibly just fun and exciting and, and calming and on every level amazing um, uh, jewelry making session with some mystical insights. We're doing another two of them. Don and I are teaming up again. One is based on inspired by the high priest's um, garments, specifically the Choshe Mishpat and the Urim Vetumim, the magical breastplate that had the different stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So there's a beautiful jewelry set that has been created by, that has been created by Donna. It's a, um, anyway, jewelry based on, inspired by the, the Kohen Gadol garb, and we're going to explore the magic and mystery of the garments of the high priest. And then we have a session, another session about Hanukkah, which will explore um, themes of Hanukkah in a fun way. And it will be Hanukkah-themed jewelry as well. And those are two opportunities. In addition, I want to mention that this Monday night, very important announcement, that's coming up on November 2nd. But before that, this Monday night, I believe it is the 19th, it is the 19th of October, we have Spirituality and Meditation with Rabbi, Label, Rabbi Dr. Label Wolf, the Kabbalist and author from Australia. Rabbi Wolf is phenomenal. If you've ever heard him speak in person, if you've ever seen him online, you know just how incredible it is. I have his book, Practical Kabbalah, and I always reference it. And, I, and I, people that ask me about a book, books on Kabbalah, I, I usually it's at the top of my list to read Practical Kabbalah. He's an incredible communicator. He is a wonderful guide for meditation. You will not be disappointed. Join us this coming Monday night. We have two sessions. It's called Spirituality Meditation. If you've, listen, if you've wanted to get a reprieve from all of the tenseness of the world today, if you want to gain a gasp of fresh spiritual air and, and have, you know, an hour or whatever, an hour, 90 minutes of clarity and meditation, Jewish meditation, this is for you. It's coming up this Monday night and the following Monday night. It's a, you can find out more information on our website, intanjewishacademy.org. I should also mention that we are starting a brand new JLI course soon called Secrets of the Bible. We were going to run this in April or May uh, a few months ago. And of course, the, uh, you know, COVID happened and, and that course didn't happen then, but it's happening now. We have two opportunities, one to do it in person, one to do it online. In person, we'll be outside and safe and social distance, etc. on Thursday afternoons, but Tuesday night, we'll be on Zoom. By the way, I should mention Label Wolf, Rabbi Dr. Label Wolf, the Kyle's from Australia Monday night, is going to be on Zoom 
because he's not flying in <laughs> to do it on Zoom. He'll be doing it live from uh, from Australia, but it's live. It's not pre-recorded. It's live and, and interactive. It's at 8 o'clock here. 8 p.m. here. I don't even know what time that is over there, but I know it's like, I, I don't know what time it's by him, but he's he's up for it. So, yeah. Um, it's good. It's he's amazing. He's just he's just amazing. And then we have the JLI course, like I mentioned. And then I want to mention one more thing, and then I'm out. And that is um, uh, attorney Kenneth Feinberg, who is has been appointed by the U.S. government and by um, companies to handle massive liability or other forms of payout. So he was the special master of the 9/11 compensation fund, billions of dollars to the families of 9/11 uh, September 11th victims. Um, he handled, uh, um, the, um, the recently the Boeing, you know, those planes that went down the Boeing seven, uh, was it 737 max? He handled those. He, he's been handling, um, these types of, of cases for decades now. He's trusted and, and, and it's, it's, it's incredible. Oh, 11 a.m. Tuesday morning in Australia. Nice. Okay, so it's not so bad. So it's a morning class by him. It's in a night class by us. Um, that's the Australia timestamp. Um, thank you, Linda. Uh, regarding Kenneth Feinberg, he's gonna he his part of his job is well, in this role is to put a price on life, right? Is how much should should this victim or this victim this, this, the family get for this vict for for this person for this loss of life? How do you put a price on someone's life? How do you assess it? And how does Jewish, how, how do Jewish values affect his work? He's going to be speaking about this. this is, you're not going to get this anywhere else. Kenneth Feinberg, D.C. attorney, special master of the 9-11 Compensation Fund. Um, he's going to be live with us, our community, in Town Jewish Academy, in Atlanta, live Thursday, November 5th, 8 p.m. You don't want to miss it. It's on our website. It's called Putting a Price on Life. So join us and tell your friends as well. It's going to be amazing. All right. Oh, and a book club this Sunday. All right. I got too much stuff. I can't. At this point, no one's going to remember anyway. All right. Check the website. Join us. Keep the computer on. And keep. And we're doing stuff in person also slowly. All right. We'll see you soon. Have a wonderful night. I hope you're inspired to have a meaningful week. Don't forget, take the Shabbat as an opportunity. It's not only Shabbat, but it's also the Shabbat right before Rosh Chodesh, which is Sunday. Good time to think about goals for the month and to, uh, to think about bringing more light into the world because Lord knows we need as much light as we can get. Thank you. Love you all. We'll see you soon. Take care. Lala Tov. Lala Tov.